Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here of The Legal Geeks. With me today to discuss The Punisher is New York State Judge Matt Trino and Dr. Janina Scarlett, author of Superhero Therapy and many other great accomplishments. How are you both doing today? Doing well. <laughs> nice, to, nice to meet you, uh, Doctor. <laughs> Great to meet you. Thank you so much for having us, Josh. Um, our pleasure. And for uh, compliance with New York rules on podcasting, this is not recorded during business hours, and Judge Reno is not at the courthouse, so it's a lovely Sunday, Sunday night at home, yes. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about The Punisher, which I think was one of the best Netflix Marvel shows to date. And Dr. Scarlett, you work with uh, veterans and service members who've been deployed, who could be recovering from uh, PTSD-related trauma, and just want to get your thoughts on how accurate was the depiction of veterans in their group sessions in the Punisher series? I thought the show was on point. Um, I actually spoke to one of the writers for the show, and she's also one of the producers, Christine um, Christine Boylan, and she said that the show writers actually interviewed a lot of veterans and also caretakers to make sure that they got it right, and they did. They really did. This is what at least some of the veterans can um, experience. Uh, of course, this does not paint the full picture for everyone's experience, but um, some of these stories uh, very closely mimic the stories I myself have heard from um, some of my patients um, and then also their loved ones. Um, so the show was um, on point. Uh, how did that make you feel to, to see a positive depiction of your profession being accurately displayed? really rewarding. This is one of the few shows where I thought that a therapy session was well portrayed, even though it was led by a peer counselor as opposed to a mental health professional, as opposed to a psychologist, for example. I thought it was done really well. There was a non-judgmental, um, really positive approach, which was really nice to see, and really contrasted Luke Cage, which I thought was really well done as well, but in that show, unfortunately, mental health professionals were not well portrayed. Um, so I thought um, Punisher um, displayed um, what some of those group sessions can be like and how some of the people can receive support and some of the people might be frustrated with the process. And I thought it really showed the full spectrum of people's experiences. Now, that is excellent because when I was watching it, my reaction was like, this looks accurate, but I don't know for sure. And it's really good to hear your validation um, professionally from it. So that, that's, that is very good news. Uh, in one of the episodes entitled Kandahar, we see the character of Lewis Wilson, who you know does a lot of bad things, uh, but in his beginning of his character fall, we see him shoot a gun at his father when he comes home from work. Uh, he then later digs a foxhole in his backyard. If you had seen somebody like this character, how would you have tried treating them? Thank you. Um, I think this person would need intensive outpatient, maybe individual and group treatment. 
um, they would need a, kind of a multimodal approach with a team. So they would probably need to be active psychiatric intervention. Um, for example, we saw him doing much better after his father gave him some kind of medication. We don't know what it is. And I'm not a fan of people taking other people's medication that was not prescribed by their own medical provider. But we do see that whatever it was actually prevented him from taking his own life. Um, and I imagine that um, at least for short term, there might need to be some kind of psychiatric medical intervention, as well as a psychological intervention where the person might be taught certain breathing techniques to help them better manage their anxiety and their um, nightmares, for example. Um, there's also a, a procedure, a, a tool called uh, nightmare rehearsal or dream rehearsal, where people are taught to create a new narrative for their nightmares so that their dreams actually change. In addition, they would probably be taught how to um, how to provide a narrative for what happened to them, either by writing it out or by speaking it out or through um, what's called prolonged exposure, where they would recall small details of their trauma just bit by bit at a time, get more comfortable with that detail, then add another detail. Um, and in doing so, people become less hypervigilant, less overwhelmed, more comfortable talking about what happened to them. And finally, we would work on that person's behavior. So we would teach them um, something called an exposure, which means a way to face their fears. So for Lewis, it might mean um, staying in the house and also um, practicing, um, noticing when he's afraid, practicing doing certain things that intimidate him um, on a gradual and also safe scale. And then the very last um, thing I want to mention is that for Lewis, I think um, it was really challenging because he was essentially going through it alone. So getting some kind of group support that's a little bit more intensive than he was getting in peer counseling to show him how to challenge his thoughts, to show him that he's not alone in his experience would really be helpful. So this would be a long process and also would be a multimodal and more intensive one than he was getting. So I think peer counseling alone was not enough for him. Yeah, watching it, it, it was painful because this is a character who looks like the system completely fails him because mm -hmm. he does go off and turn into a terrorist and that's bad and should not yeah. be the logical conclusion of I'm going to engage in assassinating elected officials and planning bombs places. Not okay. But there should have been some intervention beforehand. And this is where, you know, coupling you with the judge, uh, it, it would, will be interesting because in California, we have something called a, a 5150 hold that mm -hmm. if somebody's a danger to themselves, that, you know, uh, court intervention and medical intervention can be done to somebody into a um, mental health ward or behavioral health ward. What, what, what uh, was the name of it that you just said? We, we, in California, it's uh, 5150. Do you, Which is interesting. We, we have Article 51 in, okay. in New York which is similar. That's why when you said the number, it, it struck a chord that we would have the same number. So I guess it was under some kind of model act, but uh, under Article 51 of our mental hygiene law, um, with same thing where someone could have someone else uh, committed. And, and we, we also have 
in, in uh, 2013 as, as a result of the Sandy shooting when they passed the, the, the SAFE Act, which was the Secure Ammunition and Firearms Security Act uh, by Governor Cuomo, they, they added that a mental health professional, when they believe that, that someone is in danger to themselves or to others, there is an obligation to report. And it was done in, in under the, the firearm revision where even, however, even though, even if there's no firearm that the person owns, they have to notify certain people and they then check to see if they own a gun. And then that triggers various things. And this was done under the SAFE Act in New York. California actually has similar provisions too. And I believe those started sometime in the 70s where uh, mental health providers are obligated to warn. We have the duty to warn if somebody um, is uh, making a threat to take another person's life. So if one of my patients makes a threat um, to harm somebody else, then I would be legally responsible for warning that individual and also calling the police. Um, and then, of course, uh, for suicide, the same thing. Uh, Judge Shrina, what information would you want from Dr. Scarlett, you know, for, you know, in somebody in uh, Wilson's situation to uh, enact a hold on them? Well, in, in that arena, it's actually handled in our civil term when it comes to uh, committing someone to, to a mental court. And, and if it's not done uh, voluntarily where the person also then agrees to go in, there's literally a hearing that takes place. A lawyer is appointed for um, the, 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 the respondent um, uh, and, and this, the state generally is on the other side arguing why this person should be committed. And it's basically if we feel a person is a danger to himself or to others, it, he would go in for a period of time. There would be an evaluation and then a report back to us as to whether they feel he should be in for longer or not. And it's done on that basis. Uh, pivoting to another constitutional right, uh, the First Amendment has a nice role uh, in the series. And again, it's, it's with Lewis Wilson uh, as he's passing out pamphlets on state, the state courthouse steps, and he's arrested. And the, the issue with the arrest is the officer claims that uh, he needed a permit to pass out pamphlets uh, and then makes a false accusation that Wilson went for the police officer's gun, which overlooking the false arrest issue, let's focus on the First Amendment issue. Uh, what's your reaction to pamphleteering on courthouse steps on whether that would, you know, the First Amendment protections that apply to that situation? Interestingly, on, you know, he's giving out pamphlets basically dealing with the Second Amendment. Uh, and I think you would absolutely have the right uh, on the courthouse steps, which are a public forum, to give out information with regards to the same. There appears to be one slight tweak to that. Um, there have been several cases where a person has been handing out pamphlets dealing with jury nullification. And, and what jury nullification is, is where even though a crime is proven by a prosecutor beyond a reasonable doubt, that the jury from its inception at common law still has this inherent power to still say not guilty. Uh, and that's called jury nullification. And the courts don't 
condone it. In fact, as part of the jury charge, we always say if the people prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, you must, you shall find the defendant guilty. Um, there have been some cases around the country where people have been handing out pamphlets about jury nullification, and they have been convicted of interfering with the jury process, obstruction of a governmental administration, and some of those cases are still working their way up through the appellate uh, mechanism. So eventually, I think there will be a Supreme Court case dealing with that one little area and whether that's First Amendment protected. But as to as to other things, I think you would have your First Amendment protection. Yeah, as as do I. I mean, it's not like he was in the lobby of the courthouse. It's not like he was targeting courthouse employees. It's not like he was harassing anyone. He, he was, wasn't impeding traffic. He wasn't stopping anyone from going about their way. Um, so, so yeah, I think he he would clearly have beaten that one on First Amendment grounds. Yeah, which again was the heartbreaking, you know, situation that this guy gets into because it's clearly that's wrong and what the police officer does to him is wrong and it's you know that's a disturbing trend now what he turns into is not legally justified at all should have sought counsel this is the sort of thing that you know lawyers would be happy to jump into it's the reason why people go to law school so that that was uh, it's a beautiful issue that they play out uh and the result is bad and uh, you know credit to the writers for doing it because they they do an excellent job with it i, I don't know if, if you have similar courts in, in, in staten island but we, we have in in new york over the last several years have established uh mental mental courts for with criminal defendants with mental issues and additionally we've established veterans courts uh, for for veterans here uh to take into consideration both the special circumstances, especially with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, drug abuse, and other things that seem to be very common with veterans and mirroring them up with the various services that are also available for veterans. So as part of Veterans Court, we have direct contacts with all of the governmental agencies and hospitals that can put together packages to help defendants. And then as long as they continue in the program that's designed for them. Likewise, in our mental hygiene courts, if they continue in the programs that are designed for them, at the end of the day, they can get their cases dismissed uh, if they do what they're supposed to. And of course, there's jail consequences if, if they don't do what they're supposed to do. But the goal is, is to help rather than to, to punish. I, I believe we have several counties in California that have done that. I, I have read articles about other uh, courthouses uh, and judges that have taken a very active interest in that. I think one in Sacramento uh, has taken that up as well. Uh, Dr. Scarlett, have you had any uh, interactions with those type of courts? I have not. So at this point, I have not. Future's not written. (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) From what I read, they sound very noble, and it's a worthy program. Let's pivot to Frank Castle. Uh, one of the issues that we have with him, he's, he's still a convicted felon from Daredevil Season 2, and he's still on the run. And the series ends with uh, the CIA and D, uh, Department of Homeland Security basically erasing Castle's involvement from the events of, Darede- or of, of um, Punisher Season 1. So there's still all the 
murders from Daredevil season two that he's still convicted of. It's not like a, the governor of New York pardoned him for for everything. You know, Judge Shreno, do you have any thoughts on like legally how this sounds that you have the feds giving a felon a free pass and what that would mean? The, the, the federal government has all kinds of interesting powers, actually. And, and I, I kind of uh, uh, put it on parallel with some of the witnesses in the mob cases and the mafia cases where you have the cooperating witness who then gets another identity. And, and, and as part of that, there are statutes which allow the federal government, if various steps are made, and the Department of Justice to basically do that. You know, because when you create the new identity, for someone, that new identity no longer has the criminal record and the baggage that the old identity had. So it was akin to that in my mind. Uh, I I think they they did it a little bit more under the table and and clearly didn't uh, necessarily document all of the things that they probably were supposed to. But but there are statutes that allow similar type of tweaks to a person's identity in order to protect that person as a reward for when they cooperate in order to prosecute, uh, you know, the kingpins of the world. That is fascinating. Uh, Janina, uh, you're really well known for character analysis and being able to discuss compassion and, and character evolution. And I want to get your thoughts on Castle, because in the episode Resupply, we see Frank and Micro leave a kidnapping victim in the car, uh, in a garage, uh, where Castle and Micro end up stealing a van and, and a uh, Mustang, and Frank states that the victim that they leave uh, was not their problem. In the final episode, we have Frank cradling a, a Mandani, uh, who's been you know, shot in the head, and the two teenage uh, kidnap and torture victims that Jigsaw was was using as bait on the carousel. What are your thoughts on Frank's character evolution? You know, just you know, with his treatment of victims, because he seems to save people at the end. Yeah, I think that Frank kind of lost himself after what happened to him, which is unsurprising. He was trained to be a hero. When he went into the military, he was trained to be a hero. He thought they were the good guys. And then when they started doing some of the black ops, again, he thought they were following protocol to learn later that they actually were killing innocent people. And that that at least in part had to do with why his own family was killed right in front of him. Um, I, I mean, to say that it traumatized him would be an understatement. I think that vengeance gave him a mission. And I wouldn't call it post-traumatic growth because it's not. But I think that for him, having a mission was his purpose for living. And I think he kind of got lost in everything else. Now, over time, in getting close with Micro and his family and connecting with Karen and then later with uh, with um, Medina, right? Um, he, I think he regains his sense of humanity, and I think largely it has to do with him connecting with Micro's family. I think he's learning to gain his own humanity back. I think he's learning how to care. He's relearning how to connect with people, and 
I think that he's always been a hero. He always wanted to protect the little guy. It, it just that it got lost along the way. And I think that in being able to reconnect with that, he's actually able to find himself again. He's able to, uh, to connect with who he is, to restate his sense of purpose now. And I think in that he can actually start healing from what happened to him. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating view of the Punisher because we've seen the character on film multiple times now, and I think Sean Bernthal uh, plays the character the best out of anyone because the Punisher in the comics has been the killing machine, the unstoppable force that you know is there to execute criminals. This series made him uh, relatable. Probably has the most emotional depth and character development out of any of the Netflix shows to date, which is impressive to for this character that they were able to achieve that. Uh, it, just just fascinating. So, um, you know, which brings like kind of one of the ways that the series ends is, uh, you know, in the group setting with Frank saying, I don't have a war to fight for the first time. I'm scared. Uh, can I get your thoughts on like, you know, veterans who might relate to that? Absolutely. Um, A lot of the service members, active duty service members that I was working with are really scared when they come back. Um, You know, first, first of all, having a war in some ways is easier for some people because they know who their enemy is and they have a mission. Not having a mission means that the world is too big and too scary and then they don't know how to control it. For many service members, a sense of control is extremely important. It's life or death. And when people are getting ready to um, to leave the military, um, many of them are afraid. Um, they might not know where they're going to go next. They might not know where they skills tra- their skills will translate. And also, they might not know how to reestablish that sense of control. Now, where a lot of them succeed is by joining the fire department, for example, um, or other places where they still get to be in, for example, high-risk situations, um, or um, maybe by joining the police department or or becoming a federal agent, um, because that is where they can still be a hero. They know what their task is. They know what the mission is. Um, and they're able to follow through and, and regain that sense of control. I think that for many people, um, you don't even have to be a service member. If you have a, a life mission, a goal, a sense of purpose, then you, fe- you might feel more complete. Um, and then if you're someone who's always lived that way, to have it taken away from you can be um, almost traumatic. It can, it can shake your sense of identity. So I can see where it's difficult for many people, and that's where peer programs uh, peer support programs at the VA and through Wounded Warrior Project has been monu- have been monumental in helping people to readjust to civilian life. Now, thank you. Now, Your Honor, you've also served um, in in uh, New York um, New York Guard, which is like a reserve for the for the National Guard type of stuff. So it's local service. Um, but you've effectively done JAG officer type work, you know, in, in those, in that capacity. Um, part of the 
criminal conspiracy that's depicted in the show is drug smuggling in you know the bodies of KIA service members. What legal legal issues jump out to you with well, that? It, it, interestingly, that's not like a made up story. Um, it, it actually happened during the Vietnam War. It was um, Ike Atkinson was was the the master sergeant that was uh, basically from sixty eight to seventy five was was running this ring where um, he had the people that were making the coffins uh, for the dead service members uh, basically create false bottoms in the coffins, false other areas in the coffins, and they were using that to bring in the heroin uh, into the United States. And, and in fact, there's there's a movie uh, several years ago, I think American Gangster was the name of the movie that, that deals with this scenario. Uh, and uh, on the U.S. end, um, there, there was a, um, uh, Frank Lucas was the name of his counterpart who would be receiving the coffins. The, basically, the way they had this set up is they would misdeliver sometimes the coffin. Uh, then the service members on this end would go to retrieve and correct the mistake, take out the heroin, and, and the heroin was, was largely supplying uh, the, the, the Harlem area of New York. Eventually, they were caught. They were they were prosecuted um, for uh, drug smuggling and and, uh, and and spent serious amount of time uh, in prison. So it, it it was actually a a real kind of idea, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if if there was also some uh, unfortunately service members and others that could have been involved in in similar things. Afghanistan is is clearly the home of of the poppy. Uh, heroin money is one of the major um, supplies that that country and ex- exports for that country. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's hard a lot of times to resist that much money. That is disturbing on multiple levels. Um, thank you for that detail. That I, <laughs> Well-researched. Um, Dr. Scarlett, you know, you've, studied the other Marvel shows and you know, one of the big issues that we have that, that you've been very good at in your books and your uh, podcast and uh, your blog is talking about those who overcome trauma and being able to use pop culture to do so. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Punisher season one does this with Frank Castle? Um, I think the show does an amazing job of showing that vengeance itself is not going to bring the relief that we think it will. And it's more the sense of connection and friendship that will do that. I think the show does that really well. It's not um, in the viewer's face. It's more of an undertone, but I think it delivers that message loud and clear. Um, Many people, when they've been hurt, when they lost a loved one in a tragic accident, understandably want some kind of vindication and vengeance and it can feel almost like a drug. You know, in the short term, we feel euphoria almost when pursuing vengeance. And at the same time, in the long term, it can become extremely toxic. Um, whereas making meaningful connections in the short term can be excruciating when we're mourning a loss. And yet in the long term, that is a pathway for healing, reestablishing love, learning how to care for others. Um, and finding meaning is the pathway for post-traumatic growth, for healing, for establishing meaning. And I think the show delivered it from start to finish. Uh, Your Honor, 
you live in New York. That's, that's where you preside. Uh, what were your thoughts on this show and its depiction of New York and the actions that, that happen in it in comparison to the other Marvel shows that exist? Very accurate. And in fact, in fact one of the reasons for that is they filmed so much of it uh, in New York and in and around the areas that they, they talk about. So they, they actually use uh, Staten Island to film a lot of the episodes of of Daredevil, uh, uh, and they they do use Brooklyn for a lot of the episodes of of Punisher. Um, so it, they're very very accurate. I think it, it captures um, the New York feel. It's almost more of a New York of the the seventies than some of the uh, gentrified parts of of New York now. Although Luke Cage did a good job of showing even that how you know Harlem with the Renaissance is kind of making it hard for the people who have lived in Harlem for generations to afford the rent anymore because it's, it's, it's been priced out. So I, I think the, the, all of the Marvel shows have kind of captured that uh, very effectively. Yeah, it's work of art. I, you know, I will go on record saying that I think this is the best written out of all the Marvel series to date. The episodes are all solid. All the other series have at least one or two episodes that, that kind of drag that seem to be filler. Uh, this Punisher doesn't have that problem. Like all of them just click along and they all have a message and they all work. Whether it's two guys talking about Thanksgiving over TV dinners, that's I mean beautifully well done. So it's, it's just great, great uh, praise for this series. Uh, Dr. Scarlet, um, where can people find you on social media or get your book and and your podcast? So my website is superhero-therapy.com. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Shadow Quill, Quill like the feather. And you can find me just about anywhere else under Superhero Therapy. Uh, do you have any book signings coming up? I do, yes. Um, so there's one coming up in San Diego in just a couple of weeks um, on the 20th, I believe, at Mysterious Galaxy. In February, I'm going to start a book tour for my upcoming book, Therapy Quest, which is actually going to be a fantasy adventure in which the reader, um, you the reader, become your, the hero of your own journey. And it's written a little bit like a choose-your-own-adventure book where you get to make different decisions along the way and you will either um, gain points or lose points as you're learning mental health skills. Fantastic. Dr. Scarlett, Judge Shrino, thank you both for your time. And everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Please rate us on iTunes, leave a review. We love getting feedback and if there's topics you would like us to talk about. And everyone, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America.